Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. I'm Jake. And I'm Jacob. Well, we're, uh, to quote the greatest movie of all time, Spider-Man, we're going back to formula with this one by doing a commentary for The Mummy Returns, possibly the most meh sequel of all time. Um, there are some good things about it, some bad things about it. We'll get into it. We'll see what Jacob, being our control group of having only seen this movie one time, thinks of it as well compared to us fans of me and Jake. But, you know, we'll get into that when we get into that. Yeah, well, I, I think it's better than meh, though. It's yeah, like a no. 7 out of 10 movie. No, yeah. um, there are things I think... It... I think it's an 11 out of 10. It's <laughs> like the coolest movie ever. And this is probably the best scene. Yeah, there are things that it definitely does better and that live up to the original movie, but there are things that when I was rewatching it this week, I um, really thought about how it betrayed the first one, but we'll get into that. So here's the future president of the United States, The Rock. It's back when he had hair. Yeah. I think this was his first ever uh, film role. It was. Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting that he's, you know, you know, at the time it was just a wrestler, and I think it was just they were trying to get um, – the wrestling fans to watch this movie as well, which, you know, in the later Scorpion King movies, they actually do um, get some wrestlers in there, I believe. Um, you know, but this was like the height of trying to get wrestlers to become actors. You had, you know, Hulk Hogan had mo a movie career for a while. Stone Cold Steve Austin was in a few movies. So it was very interesting. They got him in this, but they didn't do much with him. He's only on screen as a human for like three minutes and then doesn't appear until a motion capture, you know, monster, um, until like the last five minutes of the movie. So it's very interesting that they um, picked him. Well, like the wrestler turned actor thing. I mean, that's been a, that's been a thing forever. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, but this, you know, with Dwayne Johnson, it clearly did, but he went on to play very different kind of roles. He's playing like a, like a supremely evil character here, but he became known for his very charismatic good guy roles. Well, yeah, he was the bad guy in Doom. I mean, he was the human antagonist in that movie. I mean, he becomes a genocidal maniac, and then the movie's like, just kill all the women and children, fuck them. But yeah, he's very affable, I think. you imagine if Doom came out now with Carl Urban yeah. and, like, Dwayne Johnson? That's, like, prestige casting. That was, like, the B-list cast back then, and now it's like, oh, my God, we lose our minds over that. When Rose Pike was in it, too. She was, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then, yeah. and then it just would be the same movie. Yeah. What a weird. I always thought, like, you know, Doom had a really cool premise, like scientists accidentally opening a portal to hell. And, like, the movie isn't about that. And it's like, oh, well, you know, that was the one cool part about Doom. But, you know. Now it's Carl Urban talking about, if he's so smart, why is he so dead? And other jokes. So apparently the rock in this scene had food poisoning uh, or across all these scenes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it works well. You, he looks like he's about to fucking die. So it's a happy coincidence, I guess. <laughs> I, guess. I, I don't know. This, this movie is like perfect schlock for me. I, I've seen it one time and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Could Stuff like this. It's great. Yeah. Could you imagine that? Like, this is like a, a perfect level of schlockiness or something like that. And you got oh, the monsters. Yeah. I, I could tell this was an improvement right from the first scene. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, well, got, that, that's like the Photoshop, like CGI here. <laughs> that's the thing. That's what I love about this movie. Just, I, despite it not being as good as the first one, and I don't want to, let's not keep saying that. Let's actually just try to talk about the film. It's, you know, despite all that, it's still a fun movie on its own terms. And I think it's because of the director, Stephen Sommers. There's, he still imbues a sense of fun. And, uh, yeah, this one just goes for it. Like some yeah. crazy stuff going on at the beginning here. And, yeah, yeah, it's it's very imaginative. Very imaginative. Yeah, very much so. Um, Scooby Doo CGI <laughs> flies away there. It does kind yeah. of look like the demons from the O2 Scooby Doo movie, actually. When now yeah. that you mention it, looks um, a little better. Eh. Maybe a little. Well, better. it's like that that era of CGI where things had that sort of shiny plasticine look, but were also very over animated. It's it's kind of how you can tell a lot of that early CGI. It's very over animated. Yeah, this definitely foreshadows to Van Helsing's summer's next movie. Which we'll be doing next time, so stay tuned. I can't fucking wait. Because again, this is Stephen Summers, our newest yeah. month. One day I want to watch all three of these uh, back-to-back. Maybe I can do it now because I got the time. Yeah. And then okay, there's so the man, the myth, the legend. Rick McCollum. I don't think that's his last day. That's funny. That's <laughs> I got that. Okay, good. I'm glad you laughed. Otherwise, yeah. very funny. Yeah, no, Rick O'Connell back again. I actually thought it was O'Connor for years. I don't know why I went added the ER on it, but um, so Ricky yeah. Ricardo. Ricky, yeah, Ricky Ricardo. Could you imagine if this was made in the '50s, starring Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball? That'd be great. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Mommy, you got some explaining oh. to do. Oh. There's a joke everybody's gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> and there's Scrappy Do himself. Okay, so this this movie takes place. Does it? Did this take place in 1933? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, it's in 1933. Okay, so the first one took place in 27, I think. Yeah, so I, I think believe- Alex is like eight or something. So I think the math is a little off, but yeah. Hmm. Whatever. It's one of those things where we were joking on the last commentary that's like um, he, he was actually Evie's son from a previous marriage, but Rick is really taking up the stepfather <laughs> role. Now, here's one of well, our first bits of retconning, though, is um, adding on a tattoo that I guess was implied that he's had for a very long time. I don't think it was supposed to. I always implied he's had it his virtually his entire life. Um, that he didn't get in between movies, but it was clever. You don't see his wrist, I believe. I think he does have that leather strap um, on his wrist in all the scenes you would have seen it. So I will give him credit there that they, that's not one of the things that um, undermines the first movie. No, I mean, it's, you just don't think about it until they, it brings attention to it in this yeah. movie. The, the one thing I will say is, we'll, and we'll get to in a little bit, is... Um, how Evie is um, the Pharaoh's daughter from the first one. So it's very weird that Emotep um, thinks of her as Nox in the moon instead of, oh, hey, it's my side piece's um, father's daughter. Um, but my fan theory that is the mummy, if you remember in the first one, steals the guy who's half blind's eyes. So that's why I assume he is mistaken Evie for um emo or for a knocks in the moon in the first one 
why he doesn't do that again this one i'm not sure but um take that i think i solved it well it's because the noxian moon is pretty much reincarnated in this movie right well yeah she is but it's but it's yeah but it's it shows you they obviously weren't planning out that because he when he sees evie he thinks he says a noxian moon so he uh, clearly thinks she resembles her even though we see in a few scenes that it's just her you know she was the the reincarnated um, pharaoh's daughter so it's, you know, people have always pointed out, I've always just thought of it as he's fucking blind in the first one because he's got such shitty vision that, because uh, from the first guy, <laughs> glasses, so he kind of just sees a vague shape that looks like an oxygen. <laughs> I don't know why he do- doesn't do it in this one, but, you know, whatever. It works. So it's all one misunderstanding. Yeah, it's, it's a comedic, like, Three's Company-esque misunderstanding. Well... Okay, so one of these characters coming up, I think that guy, I can just tell by his crotch. He, uh, I think he's in Van Helsing as the, uh, the grave digger. And I don't know if I'm the only one who knows that in this commentary. <laughs> I, but I, I don't. I, I, know, I know who you're referring I'm to. I'm not sure who that is. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll point it out when we go to the Van Helsing commentary. I'll put it up, on, killed by the, I'll put it up on screen. I'll put it up on screen. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, make, make sure to put the photo when it shows that crotch shot. No, and I, I know what you're talking about. He definitely does look like the guy. No, I, I'm pretty sure it's him, actually. Uh-oh. Yeah, the guy in the far left. Yeah. Okay, so actually, I just want to remark that I, I like in this movie that uh, Rick and Evie, and they have a family now and everything. I like how it's how it's evolved, the story like that. Oh, yeah, like right. contrives forward momentum there. Yeah, it doesn't contrive some way where, like, they haven't spoken to each other in years and they reunite and then it's like the same dynamic plays out from the first movie. It actually evolves the relationship in a pretty cool direction. It's cool that there's still a family and everything. It's, it's, it's neat. Yeah. Well, I think a nice touch is they now have Evie being a lot less afraid of shit. You know, she kicks this, uh, I almost said squirrel, um, kicks the snake away. Like she's not even afraid of it anymore. She's wearing, um, much more utilitarian clothes to go do this shit. Now, I mean, yeah, they're still trying to make, you know, Rachel Wise um, dress sexy, but, you know, she's wearing, you know, pants now. You know, she's not like in the opening scenes where she's wearing a dress and all that. She's, you know, she's gotten down and dirty into the archaeology, where, as I mentioned in the first commentary, it felt to me like this was her, that was her first outing, that she was always trapped in the library and wasn't allowed to go do anything. Yeah, now now it's the logic is she's been with Rick for for many years, so he's taught her a thing or two. Yeah, it's just it's all visually communicated and in the performance too. Simple, but it it, it gets across. Yeah, that and with all the leading Egyptologists being dead from the last movie, she doesn't have much competition now. Yeah, that's true. And it's just because she knocked all those shelves down. Now she doesn't have a job. And why? My husband. <laughs> Well, there's like a reference to it too coming up, I think, with the sun. Yeah. It's like a callback to the first one when he tips over everything. Yeah. That that, would it would have been great if they had a scene where they like go into a coffin or something or like a sarcophagus and there's a bunch of like like mummy tombs or something and they all open up and there's a bunch of mummies coming out and they freak out and she accidentally knocks one over and then in the exact same angle tips over a bunch of the uh, the mummy sarcophaguses. And then it would have been a nice comic beat and they could have run away. That's my contribution. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, guys. <laughs> that's, that's what I know about this movie. 
Uh, no, I, this, what year did this come out? This came out in like 2001, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this was neck neck with Universal's Jurassic Park 3. So they had a great year this year. <laughs> well, speaking of which, Joe Johnson was offered to direct. Oh, no, the third one. He, he was offered to direct the third Mummy movie. Oh, he wouldn't have turned it down. He's very underrated. Yeah. Um, Just like Steven Summers. No, this movie is. There's, there's a great variety. I like the variety of action sequences and everything in this. It's a lot of fun. I mean, like, you know, it's really silly, and I don't know how much there is to really, like, mine from it thematically or whatnot, but I, I've always enjoyed just how far this movie is willing to go with its well, limited 2000 CGI. Well, that, it's kind of interesting you say that, too, because the movie once again revisits the whole Egyptian mythology and Imhotep comes back, but they still make it fresh. Um, usually I think this would have been kind of tired, but I actually, they actually like how they, they brought it about here. I mean, how Imhotep, Imhotep comes back and his function is not as effective as the last movie. We'll get into that later, but yeah. they still found a fresh way with the Scorpion King and everything. And the, uh, I think it's like the bad guy is like the Scorpion King in this. It's not just yeah. again. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I mean, Imhotep almost gets relegated to, he's the bad guy for the first two thirds of the movie, but then by like the third act, he's almost like the, um, he's almost like the like right hand man. Like he's almost like the, like the henchman you fight before you get to the main boss of the video game. So it is interesting from that angle. It's um, like more of a supporting character is yeah. the sense I got from the one time I've watched this. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll go into the detail that more. Actually, I actually have, I think I might have a reason as to why it's not as effective. Um, yeah. But, uh, to what we said before. Watching these again now with you guys, I almost sit around and I wonder, like, would it almost have been more successful if the Mummy reboot, instead of doing just a straight-up reboot like they did with Tom Cruise, tried to do a uh, Force Awakens-type reboot with the son as the main character and kind of brought back this world and this whole version of the franchise? Would that yeah. have been more successful? Yeah. I think so. Uh, but yeah, who, but I don't, I don't, I'm not saying it would have been a smash hit. Yeah, I think they it wanted it to be better than what they what we got. I mean, I th- probably you know, I think it's not too not too difficult to make something better than what we got. But would it have been more successful commercially? Absolutely. I I would be I, interested. I'll put it up on screen what the box office for the third Mummy and then um, Mummy 2017 were to compare and contrast them. But even though the third Mummy didn't do as well. Um, I think it had a much better impact and much your, I agree. It has bigger setup to um, have um, more success down the line. I think the main problem is universal want, they're like, Oh, we got to have it be fresh. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and um, they wanted to be set in the modern day. So they would have been trapped in like the forties or, you know, th- late thirties, early forties at this point. And I think they wanted to have it uh, be better. Now maybe they could have done captain America and have Rick be frozen and then oh back God. to life. Could you imagine? But don't say that. that. I, I can, and that's... that's but he still part. ages. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> but no, it's, well, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's obvious that, uh, you know, it, it's obvious that they wanted to do the shared universe thing. That was the line of thinking. But now with that benefit of hindsight, you can almost look at that and be like, well, maybe just doing some sort of Force Awakens style reboot would have made you a little bit more money than trying and failing to emulate Marvel so hard. Yeah. I mean, they could have made Tom Cruise, um, Brendan Fraser's son. 
Go, fuck it. Go no, on. I, I, they, they wouldn't have done that. They would have cast some like young female or something in like no, the lead no. role. I, I was gonna say they, they could have made Tom Cruise Brendan Fraser's son. Like what was it Brendan Fraser said in that one interview? The kids like Tom Cruise <laughs> these days. <laughs> Even though he's the same. Yeah, I think they would have gotten some like. Uh, I, I want to see it just because I want to see Brendan Fraser come back. He's so great in all these. Oh, oh yeah. me too. I, I I don't know how active he would have been in the plot. You know, he would have been like Han Solo. I think he would have been as active as physically possible. Well, because th- in this movie was was this the movie where he got injured? That that affected. I think that was, his... I think that was every movie he made in the late two <laughs> thousands. Oh, so in Sino Man, that was one of them too. I think it was Looney honestly probably. Um, no, I mean, you know, he's a lot of fun. I guess, would they have brought Maria Bello back? I yeah, no, I, I, oh, God, no, actually, no. I, I, I was thinking for, like, the for fourth Mummy movie, but back, back, back to the third one, but I think they would have brought Rachel Weisz back. I think, yeah, I think they would have thrown enough money at her. Um, yeah. With them trying to make it a shared universe. Um, yeah, I, I, I think they would have definitely. Been I, I just hope they would bring them both back because the sort of husband-wife dynamic I think would be fun as they're older now. Yeah, and I mean Maria Bello. <laughs> we're not gonna, we're never going to do the second third one. I have zero desire to watch that movie in whole completely. I've seen like the majority of it. But I have no desire to watch all of it. It's not good. Um, they they're fine chemistry wise, but they're nowhere near as good as you know hit Brenna Fraser and Rachel Wise like. It's not good at all. Um, now, I mentioned briefly in our discussion with the first one, they are actually pretty good at not bringing dead characters back. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, with Emotep being the exception. And then um, this is not a Knox in the Moon. She is just someone. And they, they really don't get into the background of who this woman is and why she is um, willing to sacrifice and essentially kill herself. Um, for no benefit because you, you you never get the implication that she's been tricked into um, being you know killing herself essentially so Nox and Moon Spear can um, go into her body. Um, I think they kind of just like say she's reincarnated so some maybe part of the souls there. I don't know, but it is interesting they brought her back. But in a lesser movie, like I said with the, in the previous one, they would have brought Benny back. They would have found some way to resurrect. His, they would have found his corpse and brought him back. And I'm glad they don't. Even though Kevin and Jay O'Connor is hilarious in that movie, I I'm glad they did not bring him back for this one. Yeah, or, or they brought back three scumbags. Yeah, and they don't even do much in the movie. I mean, they're killed off pretty quickly. Oh no, they're they're they're, they're just they function to just get him a tips. Full, full form back that's really yeah. all that they're there for they're supposed to be unlikable so yeah. they're, so they're very disposable characters yeah here come the scarabs again Always yeah great. this is cool so this so this is where um where Imhotep was defeated at the end of the first one right yeah this is where they're digging okay yeah so they're like probably in some quarry in fucking um northern I guess they didn't mention right that now. when they were zoning the architecture site here or whatever yeah yeah uh, by the way, there's some like, like mummy monster thing that is buried here five years ago. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, but, there's yeah. Mr. Echo from Lost. Yeah. Any Lost fans yeah. get that reference? I bet they were all really excited to see him here and couldn't wait to see where the show was going to go at this point in time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yes. 
I like oh, how like guy. they were digging in the complete wrong area. By the way, like that whole thing was inconsequential, and that's the last time you see the scarab beetles too. I, that was almost just like a throwaway. Like we have to bring back the scarab beetles because um, that well that made no sense. Purpose, but it, it, it was fun to see. Just it. have them in there briefly and then move on to new things. Yeah, yeah, and it made sense there because that's where they were at from from the end of the first movie. Yeah, I mean they were there, but um, it you know you didn't need to have it. I guess it just also shows how like little these people care you know the the main four bad guys here um care about their like these people's livelihoods and like they're that little importance to them but you know so be it it's still an interesting scene oh yeah okay that guy right there i think he's he's supposed to be the curator of the british museum in the movie yeah. but this guy right here he's in van helsing too he plays the uh the cardinal, who's in, who's the head of the uh, the order that Van Helsing works for. Yeah, and you were right. The guy on the right um, was the grave digger from Van Helsing. Of course, I was. I know my Van Helsing. Again, again, you know, much like the original Universal movies, um, Stephen Summers reuses his cast lot. Kevin J. O'Connor is actually Igor in that. I forgot. That is true. Yeah, but like. If this was the original Universal Monster movies, Stephen Sommers would have cast Brandon Fraser as the Scorpion King or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then here is Ardeth Bay in disguise again. Yeah, I would say he does more in this movie than he does in the last movie. Yeah, I, I sh should rephrase my opinion of um, when I said he gets sidelined. It's during the third act, and I guess that's show like this scorpion king's army rising so he's not interacting with the main cast by that point um so that's what i meant and that so i retract that statement he gets sidelined a little oh, bit okay. correct but he definitely does have more to do in the first two well he does lead the army well i mean i'm just like saying he's like separated from the main actor. Oh, oh okay side sideline from the main characters okay. yeah and that's almost like incidental because as we'll get into it we see it looks like none of his men die because the Scorpion King's army is weak at that point, I guess is what they're saying, and they turn to sand immediately. But whatever. It's still an effective scene. So, but again, you know, like we said, th these two have great chemistry. You know, we can't hear it right now, but the um, score is great for this scene. Like, they have, like, a very um, nice theme that plays throughout all their romance scenes and all that. And, it's, you know, very nice to see them together. And you can tell they that they are in love. You mentioned the music. Uh, Alan Silvestri composed the score to this movie, and Jerry Goldsmith did the score to the last movie. And but I honestly wouldn't know the difference. Well. Jerry, I didn't realize Jerry Goldsmith did the last one. Oh yeah, it's great. And it's not to say they're, uh, they're it's like homogenized or anything. Both are very distinguished, but it uh, feels like like there's. I mean, they're both, I mean they're, yeah, they're both great composers, no doubt. Yeah, I just yeah. I didn't realize Jerry Goldsmith did the last one. Yeah. I like how she just keeps referencing all the people that went looking for this and they happen to have visual representations of them in the hallway as they're walking. So there's an Alexander the Great Caesar and then a portrait of Napoleon. It's like, it's very weird how you decorate your house for this. Oh, and here's Wayne this, Manor. Yeah, I was about to say. Which, which Wayne Manor is this? Um, in the, hmm. um, the Nolan movies. Batman Begins, it's the one. Oh, uh, I thought it was in. Um, oh, yeah, it, it burns down. Batman begins. Yeah, wasn't it back in the Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, they go. They go back, and it was reconstructed exactly to look the same because obviously they didn't burn it down. 
I, I actually, I think it's a different, it's a different location in Dark Knight Rises. And I'll put it up on screen if I'm wrong, or if we're wrong. Um, and I think the interiors to this scene, I think it's at Shepard and Studios. Yeah. One of those things where it's like, it's weird, like you got permission to film outside the house, because I know they do the same thing in Batman Begins, where it's not the interior, and they did that in Back to the Future with Doc's 1950s house, they had to shoot somewhere else. So it's always very interesting that um, these mansions are always used, but we very rarely ever see the actual inside of the house. Mm-hmm. So I, I read that this kid, he turned down to be in the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone to be in this movie because the first mummy is like one of his favorite movies. I wonder who he would have been in the Harry Potter. Maybe Malfoy. He, he, he looks like a Draco Malfoy. Uh, I mean, he's a fine actor. I mean, I've jokingly referred to him as scrappy. Um, may, uh, I make that comparison. Like that. <laughs> let me at him, let me at him type kid. Um, but uh, I like this kid. I, I, he I does like a good character. Job. Yeah, he's no it's a nice combination of no, no. But the the character I like. He's a nice combination of Rick and Evie. Evie. Yeah, he's definitely like like I said, joking aside with that. Like he can be annoying at times, but like he's you know not. Like, like, he doesn't. What would you say, Jacob? This is what the subtitle said. Have I kissed you today? And then below, Alex grunting. you find stuff like that when you watch the subtitles and now they're going to bang right there on the stairwell and then here comes the best part of the movie now it's actually interesting I don't know if you guys ever watched the animated series um, but Alex is like again you know like trying to set up with the third one um the main figure around it as well because he still has the bracelet on him in the um series like it i haven't watched the whole series so i don't know if like the um second movie ever happened but he gets this bracelet on him and like it's leading to like a great treasure or something like that so like they um take take heavy elements from this movie for the um premise of it you know so it was an interesting series. It was one of those kids WB characters from these movies in the show. Yeah. Yeah. John yeah. Schneider from um, Dukes of Hazard and Smallville was the voice of Rick and yeah, he did a pretty decent job. So, but it basically was a um, chase show. Like they would go from like location, location, like, like as we see in the movie, like his bracelet would show where they have to go each week. And it was like essentially, I think a treasure hunt, if I remember correctly. You know, and they kind of have a half-assed Benny-like character is the conniving um, henchman to the main mummy. Or to Emotop, I should say. I saw, I saw they had it on Peacock. That's why I was thinking of it recently. Won't watch it. I was trying to convince Andrew to do this over Peacock, but over the three subscription. So we would watch it, but we'd watch it with all the commercials. That's, you know, that's the ideal way to see this movie, right? And then that would have been in the comment in the um, directions. Pause every five minutes. Pause your movie every fifteen minutes. So for five minutes for us to do ad breaks. No, refresh your Peacock until you have the same ad breaks as us. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so John, the funny thing is, well, yeah, J Jonathan, everyone's changed except Jonathan in this movie. He's still <laughs> the same character as he was in the first one. And that's okay. That's okay. It's kind of fitting. Yeah. I love how, like, they think he, like, is Rick and knows all this shit. Like, they're, like, waiting. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, well, let's wait for Rick to be back. I like how she doesn't notice the big bulky um, thing on, on his arm underneath his coat. His arm's like double the size. This guy's a good henchman. Yeah, Mr. Echo. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he obviously, the bad guys this time around don't have the conniving, um, weaselly comedic relief guy. Jonathan's the sole comedic relief, really, in this one. And then we get Izzy a little later on when they get in the hot air balloon. So it's interesting to see the um, bad guys actually have um, henchmen that are a threat this time. You never feel really if it came down to like a fist fight between Rick and Benny where they both had to fight fair that like it was a danger. This, it's like, oh, as we'll see, like a potential actual danger for them to fight this guy. Um, he just catches the snake. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one of the great things about this character yeah. is kind of the world of this movie. And it's actually great because uh, the bloopers <laughs> of the movie um, have, um, they have like uh, multiple times where like you see like they throw the stick at it and Brendan Fraser wasn't catching it or like catching it in a way that didn't look cool. So I want to know how many takes they've, they, that they had to do. Well, probably to the point where it nearly killed them. It's, it's like that scene in RoboCop where um, like they had to throw the keys at Peter Weller and they had to do it like for like eight hours because he couldn't catch the keys in the RoboCop suit. <laughs> yeah this is a great like fight scene it's like as you said mr echo like is here but he's actually not getting involved yet i think it's also a good way to show how badass and menacing he is and um, to save for the final climactic fight between him and Artic Bay, like how dangerous he, of a fighter he actually is. Yeah, he's, obviously structure, they're probably saving him. Yeah, I mean, we get a little bit of the fight now and you can see that, you know, Artic Bay is getting like his ass handed to him, but yeah, it's very good. Knock the yeah, knock the bookcase over again. This is a good fight scene. We don't have much to say about it, evidently. <laughs> um, so, are you guys there? Did I lose you? Is this like the Phantom? No, no the, the meeting's running out. We're oh, okay. Out. We're, we're trying to yeah. message. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I was going to write that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, our Zoom meeting is running out, so we're going to be pausing this and have to do a little editing on this one.
I like how we just missed it, but Jonathan was hiding in the fucking bathtub. It's a very Jonathan thing to do. Yeah, once again, he hasn't changed. He's still a coward. Yeah. That's the fun of the character. He's, yeah. he's a supporting character, so he doesn't need to really change that much if the point of the character is that he's static. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even though he's cowardly, he'll still do like the right thing. You could tell he wasn't hiding, being like, I hope they kill my family and leave me alone. It's just like, I don't know where to fucking go right now. I need someone to help me, but. Oh, you mean so he wasn't like Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo movie? Yeah. Where he said just fuck his friends. <laughs> I, I love that. It, it, it's so against character for Shaggy um, in reality, but it's such a fucking funny line when he says that. Say, <laughs> let's hit the oh, yeah, Fred, and, like, Fred and Velma. Could you imagine if Matthew Lillard starred in this? He, well, he would definitely be uh, Ardeth Bay. No, I'm thinking like we're in an alternate dimension where Fred and Frazier played Shaggy in those movies and Matthew Lillard played Rick in these movies. That would be a very different... That would be one masculine Shaggy. <laughs> like his zoinks. <laughs> I'm sure he'd do his best. He'd be, you know, he'd be a great Fred. Actually, you're right. He would be. You know, and I know um, they want to try and get this off. Bad for this kid now. Whenever I see him, because I'm like, oh, the mommy was his favorite movie, and he lost out <laughs> on this huge paycheck from Harry. <laughs> Probably kicking himself now. Oh, good for you. You you followed your dream of being in the sequel to the Mummy. Yeah, I, I can respect that. Even I mean, I know it's a kid, but hey, he he clearly loves the first movie. He, he picked it based on that. Yeah. Um, I know, like they say, we have to go there and keep um, the Scorpion King from wiping out the world, so that's why they actually get involved more than just having to keep the bracelet away. But I think the humane thing to do is not take your son on this risking adventure. They should have cut his arm off to get the bracelet off. Be like, I'm sorry. Could you imagine Rick be like, I'm sorry, son. He's just crying. He's hacking <laughs> through his son's arm. He's crying more, he's crying more than the, um, Alex is. That would have been great. I'm sure Brennan Fraser would have sold that too. <laughs> I'm sorry, son. Chop, chop. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You gotta get Jonathan to do it. (laughs) He misses and chops off his other arm by mistake. Uh, Just a comedy of errors. (laughs) Just mutilating a child. I like how um, Rick has all these guns in the back of his car, just ready to go at any given moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's just the character. He's ready for everything. Yeah. He's he's really big in the NRA. Yeah, he has. Well, he has. A, he has a line coming up um, when they're overlooking the balcony of like seeing the ceremonies. Like you know, a few years ago, this would have been weird to me. That's like he's now actively prepared for everything. Like I bet, like in every cabinet in that house, there's a bunch of guns. He spent the majority of the fortune that they made from the last one buying guns. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> they bought the house and guns, nothing else. Yeah. They did pretty well. Yeah. So now we're uh, where the um, Ark of the Covenant is being stored. Area 51? Yeah. <laughs> I, I always thought this did look very much like that, so I wonder how much of that was 
well, you're in the back storage room of a, you know, of a museum, so there would be naturally a lot of crates, or I wonder how much of that was a homage as well. To what? Sorry. I... So I, I made, I said this is where the Ark of the Covenant is being kept, so I wonder how much of that was an homage versus, well, you're in the storage room of a uh, museum, so there would be a lot of crates. It's possible. I like here in a second when um, they resurrect Emotep. Apparently, the spell is so powerful it resurrects all the other mummies in the. <laughs> uh, I, I know they need the mummies to like chase them, but like I, th I think that should have been like Emotep, like in the first one, resurrects those mummies versus the spell has a very wide, um, wide arc. I'm now just thinking of uh, Return of the Living Dead, like when the gas just brings everything back to life like models like anatomy models and shit it's great listen boy if you want this job all right so we're now back we're about to see emotep it's actually interesting i always thought it was very weird how he's like borderline encased in amber here going back to the whole um this came out the same year as jurassic park 3 i know it's supposed to be whatever goo he fell in and um the end of the first one, I guess they wanted to keep him a little hidden. Um, it's also interesting how he come, he regenerates a little bit soon as they bring him back to life. He doesn't look um I just I like this early two thousand CGI. Yeah. You got this creaky, creepy mummy like mummy character, and he's just like running around and acting all like spontaneous and like energetic, and it's just because like the the CGI at the time made everything look so over animated. Uh. Maybe that's why they had him re regenerate completely. They're like, we don't want to keep paying for this. It's like kind of interesting because it's like you talk about like artificial artifice and special effects, and it's like you compare it to animatronics. And animatronics, at least in my experience, tend to be a lot more under under emotive or under. Uh, I don't want to use the word animated, but they don't move as much. They will move less than a live person will or a cgi creation will but there's a sort of tangibility to it too by the fact that it does exist mm -hmm. here the the motion is a lot more fluid and vivid and allows for more detail but then obviously you have the trade-off of it not being there and that removes some of that tangibility but it's just it's interesting to me looking at like old cgi kind of you know what i always think of i always think of the troll from the original harry potter movie mm. yeah there was a very Example of early over-animated sort of CGI, how it had a lot of motion to it. And it was impressive at the time, certainly, but in retrospect, you can sort of make those um, observations. And it's the same thing with a lot of the CGI in this movie. So it's a good observation. Never really thought of it like that before. Yeah. Show how menacing he is. And again, going back to how like Jonathan hasn't changed, he's all you could clearly tell he's only um, 
invested in this story because of how um <laughs> yeah because of how much like you know the diamond is worth yeah that's that's his goal he, he's fixed on the diamond now it pays off later yeah it's also very funny because uh, or uh, not funny um but that had nothing to do with the transition i wanted to do uh but going back to what we were talking about how this is a knocks in the moon like they even say you're just her in body not in spirit it would be very interesting to see uh, they that was a missed opportunity they could have done why is this woman so invested in helping out when she's effectively going to be killed to resurrect the Noxville? like what does she get out of this deal by doing that she's still a very interesting character showing how evil she is but um like what does she get other than we need to resurrect a in the moon from this was he? Was she just like worship him? Or I, that thing they really don't get into. I mean, I think what it could have shown how menacing the villains were that they could have had a scene at the beginning of this with um, her just being like a poor villager that um, the curator and um, all the henchmen kidnap, knowing that she is the resurrected form, and then they force her to have the resurrection performed on her against her will. Um, or they bring her on a little later on as um, Emotep finds her. You know, I don't know. That could have been interesting. I think that would have fixed the problem. I mean, it didn't bother me as much as a kid. This is only me having seen this movie a couple dozen times, wondering that. Um, again, Brendan Fraser is great in this. The mummy confronts him. It's like the, you think it's like there's going to be this like you know, silent moment where he's like, it's you as well. But he's like, nope, just to fire a fucking shotgun at you. <laughs> this one made a great stunt show at Universal. Like, I'm, a sh- I'm sad they never did anything with this. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they built the roller coaster. I know, but like, it could have been, like, this could have, this logically should have been what would place Waterworld. Like, they could have oh. built the set <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and then, Logically, Waterworld should never be <laughs> it's a great show but it's like it's one of those things every time i go to universal it's like oh should we go to the water world stunt show i just pause for a second i'm like i can't believe it's now 2020 and you can still well, not now because it's closed but uh down but like when this reopens they, in 2045 what did they replace it with something no but i'm like saying like it's weird that you could just keep saying oh i'm gonna go to the water world stunt show um it's, 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 it's a great stunt show. If you ever go to Universal, I highly recommend it. But it's just one of those things where it's very clear it was expensive to build and they didn't have anything to replace it with yet. But who knows? I, like uh, I like that moment, by the way. These guys don't use doors. <laughs> well, I think the reason they keep that Waterworld stunt show is because they're still paying off the, the budget. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> But like I said, yeah, no, just redecorate it a little bit and it's the uh, money. To the Dennis Hopper estate every year and that's how they raise it. <laughs> it is a great stunt show. I'll give them that. Like I think 99% of the people who go see that have never seen that movie, but they still enjoy it. Well, that's sad. It's not as bad as people say. Maybe we'll do a comedy no. one day. Oh, no, I'm just saying it's, it's sad how people have seen the stunt show, not the movie. Yeah. Makes sense. It's not a bad movie's okay. I mean, yeah, I don't know I mean, if I want to do a commentary was on Waterworld. I don't feel as passionate about that. Probably did not leave the largest cultural footprint. So, yeah, like, an object. Like, um, yeah, it, it's it's very interesting that it's like, yeah, you you're right. They're part of it's they're fucking paying off the budget of that movie, but it's also they have nothing to replace it with. 
Um, well, we're going to do a commentary for The Postman. Stay tuned. <laughs> Movie's three hours. We're going to do the Kevin. Well, actually, Hopper we're going to do a Dennis Hopper marathon. We're going to do Waterworld and then River's Edge. Hey, we already did um, Super Mario Brothers, so we're partway through his filmography. Dennis Hopper does make a cameo in this movie. Does he? Yeah, he's one of the mummies. Wow. Because he's so old. You're really on it today. Yeah, I know. I wrote that one down. Yeah. That's Jake's one note for the entire thing. (laughs) When we get to the 40-minute mark, i got to make this Dennis Hopper joke. Yes. In a scene with no mummies. I planned it since last week. And going back to what right, I said. My screen is wicked lagging, so I'm I'm watching it. I'm like, so are they just fighting on a train? Oh no, there's a mummy there. Okay. <laughs> I'm watching the slideshow right now. Yeah, me me too. Oh, it's coming back. Oh yeah, no, look at that. It's like we said the magic words. This is oh, like so I guess you can move the mouse? Yeah, this is like the phantom commentary for the two of you guys. I, I know what's going on, but you guys don't. I love he's about to, if I remember correctly, he's about to like do a Three Stooges thing with this mummy, like poking in the it's eyes. Like, I think I'm like, because this like has a pretty light tone to it also, but I think it's more acceptable here because the movie is just so like silly. I, I kind of like it, you know? Yeah. I, I understand we're delving into personal taste here, but you know, you got like a double-decker bus exploding <laughs> through London while there's like cartoons on mummies trying to grab Brendan Fraser and throwing him up and down. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. fun. It's like very, very silly, but in a way that I, I appreciate it in a schlocky way. Yeah. Now it'd it's be well really, done too. It'd be really unfortunate if I played an audio clip from the last one here of Jacob saying, I wish they went more horror than action with the first one. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just kind of trying to bring us back to that because there it's like more of a straightforward movie. And like, I wish they did the same thing with this too. I wish it was more horror based, but like stuff is so over the top in this film, like the Scorpion King with his army and just some of the, like the, the mummy antics that it's like, I appreciate this in like a, a schlocky way. No, I, I'm joking. I get it to you. I get, I agree with you. I mean, I mean, they're like doing like a bat, almost like a bad breath joke here with the mummy, like doing that with him. And like, yeah, they literally did the three stooges eye poke here. That's like right out of army of darkness. Yeah, and like in an ideal world, this would be like, you know, a scary adventure film, but it's like a very fun, silly film that unintentionally goes more over the top than I imagine they probably were expecting it to. And that kind of (laughs) makes it more interesting. Yeah. I mean, they literally just did like a wily coyote mummy stuck to the side, which is also interesting that not all these mummies are dead. So like, are like some poor London cops having to try and fight mummies now? I like that, so... Uh, is the James Bond shot. So apparently for this this scene, they had to close down uh, the bridge for, at first it was 20 minutes, but then once I think they're being threatened or something, they had to close it down to 10 minute intervals. Yeah, because people were pissed off. Oh yeah. I, I lo- I, yeah, I love like, yeah, you hear about that. Yeah, and going back to like the joking line, because like, this is my first bus ride. Um, but yeah, there was a movie... Um, called like on the beach where they do the same thing like it's a like a post-apocalyptic movie made in the 50s and they wanted to show the um 
Golden Gate Bridge completely empty. And the city of San Francisco said, absolutely not. Are we shutting this down? So the director just bribed two police officers to be at either end of the bridge to just stop traffic for like a half hour. Huh. That's my somewhat connected note to it, but... Yeah, yeah, you can see like why like people be pissed off because they have to have the bridge completely fucking clear. How many times do they have to raise this bridge up for this scene? So it's like then like okay, now you're even slowing that part <laughs> down. Like I imagine a lot of people pissed off about this. Well, it was worth it. Yeah, it's a great action set piece. Because as a kid, I didn't know it was a drawbridge, so I'm like, what is that mummy magic that's doing that? <laughs> No, I wasn't that stupid, but I did not realize that. That was Egyptian technology doing that. They were very ahead of their time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and again, goes to show, you know, um, he's re- very good and very earnest. Like, when he says Alex, very sadly, you can tell, like, the anguish of, like, a father, like, realizing he failed to protect his sons. I think it's a good moment. Yeah. Sets up the goal for the rest of the movie. No, I do, say, I do say, um, going into when I said I think this um, is a downgrade to a certain extent, when the mummy is resurrected here, he immediately is like, what year is it? Which he doesn't do in the first one. And when they say it's the year of the Scorpion, he's super excited about killing the Scorpion King to like take over the army and take over the world and all that. And it's very interesting that... Um, they don't show that this, you know, proto Anax in the moon is there with him. So I thought, I always thought that was a bit of betrayal from his character from the last one where all he cares about is resurrecting his girlfriend. I think had they done it a little out of order where they show she's there and then they're like, by the way, you know, it's the year of the scorpion. And then that's his second, you know, now he's like, oh, my goal has been to have my girlfriend back. Oh, and now I can go do this. I think that would have worked a little bit better, but I think they kind of, going to what we say that he's almost a side antagonist in this by the end like they kind of simplify him a little too much but they do make up at the end and i will point out what um what moment i think saves this movie a hundred percent for me as well a hundred percent you said yeah that, right, okay. and any grievance i have with what they do with emotep um is saved by the very end and i'll point that out and discuss why so well, four months later now that they're in Egypt, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it went by sea. It's like, okay, well, you know. And I think, that, don't they say, like, we have to be there by the end of the week? It's like, I feel like you can't do all this traveling in the 1930s in less than a week. Well, the Scorpion King's resurrected. It's over. Oh, oh shit. Don't, don't you know, guys? He's back. Off screen. They, they get there, they find Alex's corpse. He's been dead for like two weeks at this point. It's like, oh yeah, it was only a week. <laughs> yeah. Now it's funny, you got, by the way, they got the Book of the Dead going back to our discussion about um, if the 2017 Mummy had been like a soft reboot Force Awakens style, it would have worked better. Partway through that movie when um, Tom Cruise is fighting with Dr. Jekyll, he, they're in a library and he hits him with a book and it is the Book of the Dead. So it's a I wonder how much of was that a nod or were they pl- just a nod to the Stephen Summers movies or were they planning in future Mummy sequels to retroactively connect them? So we'll never know now. I don't think they were planning anything. I just think they thought, hey, that people remember that. I think it was an Easter egg. Yeah, I'm because it lingered a little bit on it, if I recall Not correctly. Not like setting anything up, but just like an Easter egg. Yeah. 
Well, it's one of those pointless Easter eggs. It's it's like the one in the Amazing Spider-Man too. Just just those utterly pointless ones, like when you see Doc Ock's tentacles or the vulture's wings. It just it'd be. I, at the risk of sounding like I'm defending that movie, that was uh, setting up future movies in a very, very blatant way. I think with uh, with something like that, you know, it, it might have just been more of an Easter egg sort of thing with the mommy. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah, I, I guess. Oh, yeah. wait. The prop you're referring to, Andrew, was that like, was that a thing from this movie that they stuck in there? Yeah. Well, I mean, the Mummy franchise, because it's, it's the same. It was like something from one of these movies yeah. that they put in new one. Yeah. So it's, and it's, like, that it's was not really like an Easter egg. Yeah. I, I, I wonder. Thing, that was like the next movie is going to have these guys in it. Yeah. But, you know, both are bad. So, I, I mean, I don't know what we're defending here. Yeah. Um, I like also somehow they were able to get the mask, same mask he uses um, in the first movie to disguise himself when he's um, when he's all um, fucked up. But there you go, nice. And then I like how he mind fucks this child so he could like understand what he's saying because I guess we don't want to read subtitles or force a child actor to have to try to speak ancient Egyptian. It's Doctor Doom. Oh, a little bit. <laughs> He looks better than any of the movie Dr. Dooms. Except the Roger Corman Dr. Doom. You know what's really weird? I was watching an episode of Farscape last night, and it had the same plot as this movie. What? Really? It was go go on. Gauntlet. It was a gauntlet that got like stuck on people's arms that would like they had to get it off and would turn them aggressive and cause all these bad things. So basically what I'm saying is, this whole thing is just a ripoff of an episode of Farscape that I watched while falling asleep last night. Well, I want to know if um, Alex you know, pissed off and snapped his fingers in a race at once and did the Avengers rip this off. Could Wait, you say I said, is Alex going to snap his fingers with the gauntlet and like erase half of ever, all life? So did the Avengers rip this off? Well, it didn't because it didn't happen. Oh, look, he's even got Dr. Doom's face. <laughs> yeah, and it looks better here. I do have to say before we see the this trio of bad guys be dispatched, I always thought this like shorter, heavy set one and then the tall skinny one who was in Van Helsing, they always reminded me of the henchman from um Hunch or not Hunchback, from um Hundred and One Dalmatians. I'm like, Oh, I wonder if that's a reference to it, but then there's the third guy, so who knows? So I wish the live action cast of 101 Dalmatians henchmen of Mr. Weasley and Hugh Laurie were cast for this. Could you imagine? Yeah, Hugh Mr. Laurie's Weasley in for two minutes. One? Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that. What's that? Uh, I'm blanking it. Yeah. Oh, I love how they trick um, the bad guys here into opening things. Yeah, they just get all this out of the way. I like it. There's just no dilly dallying around, repeating the same from the first movie. Yeah, I mean, part of me we know the rules. Yeah. Get it part out of the way. Yeah. But at the same time, I wish they could, you know, set up a, a better goal for for Imhotep in the sequel. Yeah. This is all well and good. It's just okay afterwards. What's his? We know his function, I guess, is to to go up against the Scorpion King. But I wish there was a little more to it than that. Like well, he's that, got everything he wants already, and that well, that's the problem I want to go. I was going to go into where things that he wanted from the first movie he already has, which is fine, 
Um, you don't want to do the same thing again, but I wish there was a, a better goal for him uh, that gives him more of a, a, just a better function within the plot. Because for the rest of the movie, he's, he's a little passive until he gets to the Scorpion King. Yeah, he really does problem. That's kind of the that's kind of the problem. I mean, because with the first one, obviously his goal—he's a man in love, like we discussed last time. He wants to reincarnate on Aksuna Moon through Rachel Wise, so he has that goal and everything, and that's that's what he's trying to achieve. But here, the goal's over now. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the thing. It's um, he wants love in the first one, power in the second one, and I like I said, I think my big problem is in the first one or the first one that's all he cares about is her but in this one they you know before he sees he has the new anox in the moon to have with him he's immediately like scorpion king centric so it's like it really undermined him at the beginning of his thing so i don't know that that's just always been something like i said i've thought about after the 50th time i've watched this movie That's fine. If he, so, so his goal is that he wants power. Like again, tell me what this, the whole thing. What he wants out of the Scorpion King again? Hey, I mean, he wants the power. He wants the he they have the army and now take over the world. Which you're right. He now has the Noxon Moon. So okay, what's the next logical thing for him to want? Okay, maybe he wants power now. My thing just was I think they should have you know shown him a Noxon Moon first, and then you know he moves to that because it felt like a betrayal of what he originally wanted. Yeah. Yes, it it does. I mean, I don't mind going with the power thing. It just just executed a bit better. Don't make him so passive. Yeah. Well, that's and I will say, maybe it isn't as interesting from from the last movie where he was a man in love. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, he definitely gets dumbed down here. But like I said, there's the moment at the end of the movie that we'll get into that when we get into that, um, where he um, it becomes very you know it very much redeems all the character flaws and changing they do in this one for him. Mm-hmm. I also like this borderline Mel Brooksian joke they're about to do with him with the fake eye patch. And that's not even a Mel Brooksian joke. That literally is one of his jokes. They do that in um I think it's I think it's Robin Hood Men in Tights when they had the hangman who is also in um Blazing Saddles does that. He yeah he lifts his eye patch and it was just for show. It's great. It's it's a great little character detail of this character. Yeah. Well, you know, now that we don't have Benny, um, you know, it's a nice another little um, comedic side character to have. You know, a little bit more funny jokes with. You know, it's like, I like that. He's like, I know I'm going to get shot now. Yeah, that, well, that's a cool thing in, in a Stephen Summer. He he likes his comedic side characters, which is fine. Just an interesting yeah. observation because yeah. Kevin J. Willie or Kevin J. Anderson. Kevin J. O'Connor, I'm thinking of these other writers. Kevin J. O'Connor is like the comedic psychic in Deep Rising. He's Benny and the Mummy. You have the easy character in this movie. You have Carl and Van Helsing. Yeah, well, and he, you know, even though he's not to the same level, he is somewhat comedic in, um, as Igor, because Kevin J. O'Connor plays him as well. There are a few funny moments with Igor as well. So, yeah. Uh, he's got him spread around. Um, and they work very well. You know, we. We're talking in the last one, uh, Jonathan and Benny compared to, and now Izzy compared to uh, Riley in the National Treasure movies. They do a very good job with them here that they never feel too forced. It does feel like, okay, I'm never like, who's making jokes like this in this moment? Like the characters are serious when they need to be serious, but like 
they can make funny jokes when, you know, the tensions aren't there. Yeah. Plus, Izzy's just in a part of the expansion of this world, and it shows just another part of Rick's past life and everything, which is cool. So it expands Rick's world, too, at the same time through his past. Now, one of the, you know, going back to our comparisons of him being like Indiana Jones, it's like, we get the impression that this isn't the first time, you know, obviously he didn't fight supernatural forces prior to the first one, but like, you know, he just had like a life of adventure. He was in the French foreign Legion at one point. We don't need to know why, you know, he was in something that involved this Izzy guy, you know, beforehand, you know, don't exactly know what it was, but that's not important. We we know like with Indiana Jones, he knows all these people, you know, we accept that they get traded around for what we're needed. It's very simple for a very simplistic character. And that's all that you need for a movie like this. Yeah. Hang all that simple stuff on great action and special effects. Yeah. Um, another behind the scenes moment here. I like um, there's a moment um, coming up when um, Evie has her flashback again to her past life and she almost falls off the airship and Rick catches her one of the funniest bloopers I've ever seen is when they did that one time and one of the takes they did that Brendan Fraser wasn't fast enough and she did fall <laughs> off like they, you know, of course like a foot off the ground there's like a pad below it but he's like oh no Evie I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> and that would be me just like not only half ass paint I just like wait oh oh, sh- oh oh shit I didn't catch her oops <laughs> well I guess she checked she died earlier than she was supposed to and we'll get to that yeah. I love how he, for some reason, is bringing this with him, even though it makes zero sense to, for him to actually bring it with him, but it becomes so important to the plot later on. Oh, the scepter. Yeah. Wait, did we lose you, Jacob? No, I'm here. Okay, it, lo- it looked like you fizzed out on my side. I wasn't sure. Oh, no, I'm here. Again, goes to show who has seen the movie 55 times each and the person who's only watched it once, I guess. It's like when we did Bionicle. Yeah, but that movie was 60 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, we'll do the second one eventually. Not even halfway through this yet. I don't know what else to tell you. I like it. It's very schlocky in a fun way. I'm looking, just waiting for The Rock to show up as the scorpion monster, even though I've seen it online a bunch of times. It's, it's very much going to be like with the Phantom review where I had nothing to say and I kept cutting out. So I just kept splicing in and be saying, I agree every now and then. Just Jacob will interject with that every now and then. Well, well, the difference between that and this is we actually all have something to say. For, you know, not in the first 10 minutes. Speak for yourselves. <laughs> you have a little bit more to say than the Phantom. This is yes. a great part. By the way, I like this moment. It's like, Perfect aim. No, I missed. Again, showing he's a dickhead. It's a nice little character thing. Yeah. It's funny. I'm getting like elements of, did you guys read that um, short story, um, The Ransom of Red Chief? Did you guys have to read that in grade school? No. no. It was by O. Henry, and it was like these two bumbling crooks kidnapped this little kid. It was like Alex's age, and like he likes pretending he's like a Native American, so he calls himself Red Chief, and he just starts tormenting them to the point that he tries giving, they try giving the son back to the father, the kid's father, but the father, knowing how much of a piece of shit the kid is, is like, 
oh no, you're gonna have to pay me for him, me to take him back. And it's just a comedic short story. And that's what this kid reminds me of. It's sorry a good for literary reference. From, yeah, sorry for referencing something from like a hundred years ago. Oh, I mean, wait, you read books? Yeah, in grade school I did. Oh, okay. Reading. We can't have any literary references. Yeah. It's not allowed. So I read somewhere that Stephen Summers, um, to make this look even grosser, was the one he spread his own shit on the walls here to make it authentic. Uh-huh. I think I read that somewhere. Yeah, that sounds like bullshit. <laughs> no, Stephen Summers it, shit. No pun no. intended. No, I, wrote, I think I did read like some, he was the one who like whatever they used, like chocolate or mud or paint or whatever. I think I vaguely remember reading that. Like he was the one who made some of the stains himself. He's like, no, it's got to look, he like, they, it wasn't gross enough for his liking. <laughs> I'm also reminded of like the climax or not climax, um, partway through Catch Me If You Can when Leonardo DiCaprio does the same thing to escape the FBI on a plane. <laughs> Okay, so Steven Spielberg ripped off The Mummy Returns. I think we can settle that fact now. Yeah, this came out the year before Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, that and Wayfair. <laughs> Those are facts. The website? <laughs> Wayfair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hold on, Shinzon's on screen. Let's, let's be quiet. What are these stormtroopers? get it because they're bad at aiming but imagine that during the stunt show that would have been great this should have <laughs> you been mean great. a, a old man <laughs> no but like yeah like the henchman getting thrown through the air that would have been great are they ever going to upgrade the uh if they upgrade it and turn it into a mummy stunt show i hope it's the 2017 mummy well, that's saying they've, mi- they've missed the mark. Thing. They recreate the sounds from the broken trailer. Oh, God. But yeah, they've, they've already missed the mark on the 90s, Mummy. Now that's no longer relevant. And it's actually funny that up until um, when the 2017 Mummy was coming out at Universal Hollywood, as you're exiting the roller coaster, they had figures from the Mummy um, 3. And it says, like, the Mummy 3. And you could clearly tell, like, where they, like, painted over coming, like, 2010 or, like, whatever it was. But they, for years, were just, like, still having figures promoting that. Universal doesn't know when to update shit, I guess. I have a funny story to tell about the mummy ride. Um, so I think I was like 14 or something and the line for it was like two hours long. So the first time I was ever gonna ride the mummy ride. So my dad and I, we get into the, we get into the ride and then the ride just stops before it even begins. So we're there for like 10, 15 minutes, just sitting there, all of us. And then the lights go on and then the, the ride starts. So we're going through this roller coaster, but the entire place is lit up. So we can see everything. It looked like, like we, we could see all the gags coming at us. It looked like we were in some giant stadium or something. You could see the concrete floor. You could just see everything. And it was just, it was just really awful. Yeah. Well, uh, that's so that was I, my experience with the mummy ride. Was that in <laughs> Orlando or Hollywood? Funny story. Yeah, that was Orlando. <laughs> the, the Hollywood one, I've never, I've never been to the Florida version, but the Hollywood one, I know, is like a little dumbed down. I always find it very fun because you're riding through it and you're in pitch blackness, but you occasionally will pass by neon signs of just like stat, statues or just plywood probably of mummies looking like they're swinging at you. And I've always thought every time, I love that ride, but anytime I'm on it, 
I always think of that cliche scene that you see in movies where like where a character is walking down like a black void and you just like see like they're like on a drunken bender you just like see the sides for like various different bars floating above them so that's why I just assume we're like Rick O'Connell on a bender going through Egypt just with mummies attacking him every now and then well that's pretty much what happened to me on the ride but just imagine everything just seeing it from a from a hundred yards away coming at you that had to be terrible it um, it really was, but it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, Needless to say, I never went on the ride after that. The first time I ever actually was on it, and I think, Jacob, you were with me because it was when we were um, out in L.A. for school together. Um, I, um, I like the Florida one. The Florida one, I remember being a little bit longer and more uh, had a little bit more to it. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing with Universal Hollywood in a nutshell. That's a little strange. Yeah. <laughs> That's so um, ironic, though. You would think the Hollywood one would have their shit together. More. Well, because they do, they don't have the room for the space. I mean, when they did the Transformers ride, they fucking ended up having to tear down the original um, Paris Opera House set from the original 1925 Family Opera. Like they they're very limited on space there. Mm. I love that Transformers ride because Michael Bay directed it himself, and you can tell because the first thing that happens is when Bumblebee appears, he grabs a robot and rips its like robot jugular out with like robot blood. It's great. Yeah. I'm like, that's the Michael Bay Transformers universe right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, but Jacob, I'm not sure if you remember this. I, I'm pretty sure you were on the ride with me. Some guy like who was sitting in the row behind us. And like, if you've never ridden the ride, you're like in a Jeep. It's very similar to uh, the Indiana Jones ride at um, Disneyland. So you're in a Jeep and you have the restraints on you. So you can't really move at all. And all of a sudden I just heard this guy sniffing behind me. And he's like, excuse me, young man what type of cologne are you wearing? And I, I tell what cologne I'm wearing and I hear his wife murmuring to him. He's like, I told you to stop doing that. He's like, what? I just wanted to know what kind of cologne he's wearing. It's not that weird for me to ask him. And that was my first time riding the mummy ride. So weird but it guy. worked though. Yeah, weird guy if you're listening you to this. cologne in the mummy ride? I, I don't know like, why I put it on. Just like, you know, sometimes <laughs> I put a cologne out when I go out. I don't know. But yeah, I decided to waste a little bit of my Tim McGraw cologne to go to Universal that day. So you got all dolled up for the mummy ride? Apparently. So I'm just trying to imagine a man just going around all day just asking people about the cologne. And that's what it sounded like when his wife was like, I told you to stop doing this. Like, it's apparently a reoccurring um, theme for him. They got a divorce a month later. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot to unpack there. That vacation was trying to save their marriage. I do admit I do like you know very the very Back to the Future two esque um, going back to the first movie from a different angle. I even though like I brought up the whole you know why does she he not recognize her as the Pharaoh's daughter? Um, it is nice seeing what leads up to like what causes the guards to go um, looking there at that time. Why is the Pharaoh going to? Um, search and all that so it, i do kind of like this rat counting of the first one to a certain extent yeah it's fine uh, again it deepens the the mythology of it all yeah. again i'm just remembering when you said that um Arnold Vosloo had a slight paunch when they began production of this movie. It's like, I can't, I'm just imagining like Arnold Vosloo with like a beer belly in this scene. 
yeah, that that was the scene there. I was a few scenes off, but like apparently he didn't catch her. So it's like, oh no. That's what injured Brendan Fraser. So that that it fucked her back up too. She didn't want to do whatever again. His body was a, other incidents. That was his soul. Yeah. <laughs> So this is the same actor playing yep. the, Okay. And like I said, you know, I've always gotten it now that she is dead and then, you know, Anaxa the Moon's um, spirit is now, res- you know, in her body. So the, the original lady is gone. That, you know, that's what I got, like, when we saw, like, in the original Mummy as well, that Rachel Wise was going to be completely killed. This isn't, like, Get Out, where um, she's partially still there. So it's like, I, w- I wish we would have known, like, what was that first chick's... Um, motive like why is she like oh yeah go ahead guys i'm on for plan destroying the world and then not even being alive to enjoy it but uh, oh wait a minute so i guess i was wrong uh anaka came back just now then she wasn't there the whole yeah. time well as they said um you're anaka moon he's just like, i'm anaka moon reincarnated and he says yes in body but not in soul but we will soon change that so that's where i think it should have been um before that where it's like she's just like they shouldn't have had her in this at all or they should have had her up until this point or it was done at the beginning where this she's just some poor villager in Egypt somewhere that they kidnap and forcibly do this to her or explain it at the very least or explain that like she's a follower of Emotep she you know like they could have retconned it like she was there like during the first attack you know in the first movie and all that she's like I've always praise you I, I i'll do anything to sacrifice myself i just feel like you don't get that um feeling very much with this one maybe they could have just resurrected emotep and anak Sinamun in that museum scene yeah i mean her body was there so but plus they died in the same place in the at the end of the first one yeah so i mean it's it it's definitely something weird but again i didn't think about that jacob you can chime in as this being the second time you're watching this um if you've ever thought that i think i'm just viewing this now more as a 25 or 26 year old who's seen this movie a thousand times since i was 10 um noticing it now you shrug people <laughs> jacob approves i agree um Jacob, if you read the script, would you give it a recommend? Um, well, you know, the tricky thing is, um, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have that much to say on that. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's okay. It's an action thing, and a lot of it's based on the visuals and stuff like that. So you got to take that into consideration when you're reading the script. <laughs> um, All right. So, um, yeah, so I like the little scavenger hunt they're doing. You know, how again, it shows how clever um, Kyle, Al- Alex, um, how clever Alex is with um, 
you know, leaving his little, um, I, I refuse to believe he built that sandcastle, by the way, uh, but leaving like the, you know, his trail of clothes. So I'm imagining like if there were a few more steps, he'd be naked by the time this ended. He's like getting really embarrassed, but, um, you know, leaving like the clues and all that, you know, very clever. Yeah, it's a cool way to get around the question of, oh, how do they find find them and know where they're going? Exactly. Yeah, just it, it it it's a good way to show how clever the the son Alex is. Yeah. He's not an annoying brat. Oh, for sure. They they could have very easily made him into that. Like you know, I jokingly said, "Oh, it's a scrappy dude." They could have very easily made him annoying, but it it's, it goes into yeah, you know, he's a good he was fine in this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Stephen. I think Stephen Summers said the reason. He jokingly said this, but when asked why there was such a large amount of time between movies, he joked so he wouldn't have to work with the, with babies. <laughs> I mean, sure, and that's the thing. I think, um, you know, another problem with the third one, I know they were trying to set up um, for the kid, you know, grown-up Alex to be the... Um, be the main character going forward that was like a passing of the torch um series uh, part of the series but you know i think he's the perfect age here he's precocious he's a kid you know so he's not really able to handle himself but he's old enough that he's able to do something so it's like i think this eight to ten to twelve year old like range um is like the perfect thing for like a kid in this type of movie and just talked about directing the actor not just the character (laughs) <laughs> well well that's that's a tricky thing in terms of like a the age of like a a young person in these movies because if they're too old it's it may not be right if they're the right age it's it's like dangerous enough and if they're a little too old the danger's taken away a bit yeah i feel like but if it's a kid like this yeah like you said he's precocious he's smart enough but he's still vulnerable yeah like so you, you yeah, still if- you still understand the stakes he could very easily die at a given moment. He has no way of actually physically defending himself. Yeah. Okay, here's the um, other elemental with his face in it attacking. Got Hydro Man here, I guess. <laughs> hey, Red. This is a great part. Yeah, I, and that's the thing. I've heard people complain about this movie. So oh, you're just redoing... Um, what you did in the first one, both, you know, water and says, it's a guy still think it's good. I mean, it's a power we know he has. So I think, you know, instead of people being like, Oh, well, why, why is he reusing his same power? It's like, I would more than, why wouldn't you use the same power again? You know, like at your disposal, if you can do this, why wouldn't you? So I, I know it reminds me of the, the face, the screaming face from the wall, from (laughs) the wall. Whenever I see one of these shots in these movies, See, as a Blair Witch Project fan, I always just think of the like poster for the second one, which was like a face screaming. Of, I don't think it's a character from any of the movie, the movie, but like made of wood because get it, that movie's set in, set in the woods. I'll put it up on screen and then show it to you guys later. So just take my word for it now. On one hand, it's good that they're pushing special effects like this because if you don't have something like this, it's it's... I mean, maybe someone would have come along eventually to do it, but it's good to gauge gauge these yeah. things in terms of just how far you can go. Um, even like something like as controversial as like Tarkin and, and Rogue One. It's, yeah, it's I agree with the, that. 
the quality of the CGI is good, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you have to kind of take these chances in order to, to know where, where you can go with these things. Otherwise, it's all theoretical and you, yeah. and you don't end up pushing it. I, I don't even think the effects are bad here. I think it's just really silly more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing, because at the time, water was like the most difficult thing to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's that's been a thing for a long time. I remember video games struggled with that for many years. Yeah, yeah. I think they re- they do a good enough job, and you know, then they combine like the physical like set like something that they're on, you know, dumping real water over there. I, I think it pulled it off well enough. So okay, now we're in the oasis that um, the Scorpion King got. Um, I do like how they, you know, going back to like when we were joking about the beginning of the movie, like you know, passing by the visual representations of like Napoleon, Caesar, and Alexander the Great. That this is a well-known mythical um, thing that people have been looking for for you know centuries. You know, it's very much like Hominoptera, but you know, a little bit more concrete evidence for it, uh, or sorry, less concrete evidence for it. So it's like. I mean, this, this feels like this could have been an Indiana Jones thing. Like, oh, we're looking for this lost city that, you know, you know Alexander the Great could not find. Wait, what's the city called again? Um, I, they just played it. It's like an oasis. Um, and then, like, I guess, the yeah, it's, it's right where, where the Scorpion King, like, he found, he, him and his men were walking through the desert and then found that scorpion there. And then that was the oasis, oasis that sprung up around him. So is this Egyptian mythology? It's still Egyptian mythology. I think they're still somewhere in Egypt. Okay, yeah, that, that's cool. I, I Even like though that there's there. no year of the scorpion in um, the Egypt calendar, but, you know, details. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing I, I want to bring up here where I, I'm glad this is like a jungle where it's not, it's not just another desert. Yeah, maybe Steven, maybe Steven Summer's like, well, we can't, I can't have him go through another fucking desert again. We already did that. So I, I like how they change up the the environment and everything. It yeah. presents a new set of challenges for them to get to their goal. It's cool. It's a nice change of pace and everything. Some visual variety in there as well. Yeah. Well, it goes to what, what I was saying with my problem, the third one, that they're in China. They're no, at, in no location that feels even remotely similar. I agree with you. You can't have them go through the desert again. It'll get boring. But this still feels more exotic than we're in China. We're in the Himalayan mountains. You know, it's, I think the third one should have been like, they're fight, like doing an Aztec mummy, but... Maybe that jungle would have been redone. I have to assume that the third one that the dragon emperor in question was made up for the movie, right? Yeah, but it's weird because they use the terracotta um, warriors. Um, and I just always thought it was a weird thing to put in the title because it's like Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. I mean, I guess it sounds kind of cool, but it's like it's not really a selling point. Yeah. Should have called it mm-hmm. The Mummy Forever. <laughs> Too the mummy resurgence. Maybe just the mummy three. Just mummy. Mummy resurrection. God. Well, that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, I think the sad part is all of these would have made sense to some degree. What I think we're basically saying is, hey, Washington football team, get us on your committee to get you a new name. We'll come up with something great. <laughs> I'm sure all these names were on the piece of paper the executives were, were banding about. Or just Stephen Summers just wrote it and they're like, okay, mommy was a hit. Whatever you want, Stephen. Yep. 
you get us a new mummy stock title yesterday. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently yeah. Missing from the 60s Spider-Man there. <laughs> <laughs> Holding his cigar. Well, apparently, uh, the day after the first one came out, once those, the opening, the numbers came in, the Universal called Stephen Summers and said, we want you to do another one. Yeah. We need another movie. Because the first one saved the studio. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, we already talked about that in the last discussion. But, and this one was a hit, too. It, uh, hence the third movie. Yeah, yeah but they had a little bit longer time. So. What did you say, Jacob? This one, unfortunately, didn't save the studio from embarrassment. What else? It made its money back, definitely, but I don't think it was quite as big of a hit percentage-wise. You know, it's like how you look at, like, I always use the example of the Halloween movies that like they always made their money back, but it was like further diminishing returns when you look by comparison, like the first one cost like X amount of money, but it made like 40 times its budget back where this is like, Oh, well it made 10 times its, its budget back. We would have liked it to make more back though. I mean, I think yeah, okay. this one was a hit. No, that, yeah, that's no, what that... I'm saying. Like it was a hit, but like not to the level of like, you know, the phenomenon agreed. It's like how, like all Jurassic Park two and three made their money back as well, but like it didn't make the percentage increase that the others, the first one did. Did yeah, it only um, made? Did did this make more or less money than Jurassic Park three? I, I understand. I'm asking a question now that nobody in their right mind would know the answer to off the top of their head. But I, I will I'm, look it up right now. <laughs> I, uh, mummy honestly, Returns made more. It did. Hey, good for yeah. Mummy Returns. Made about a hundred million more. Probably at least in terms of pure blockbuster fun and spectacle, got a little bit, you know, probably a little bit more fulfilling than Jurassic Park 3. And I say that as a guy who really likes Jurassic Park 3 for what it is. Yeah, audience, um, Jacob, um, I don't know if you want me to reveal this, but he has a tattoo of the JP3 logo right on his back. It's crazy. And then a picture of William H. Macy on the of it. Three Literally. slash marks. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, just the three slash marks. <laughs> well, well, going back to the box office of the first two, this one only made about $20 million more than the last one worldwide. So usually sequels make a lot more. So, I mean, this was still a hit and everything. It still recovered its budget and everything, but maybe it could have made a little more, but it still did, yeah. it still did very well. They weren't yet ready for what The Rock was cooking in 2001. So basically... Um, oh. Well, basically, if I guess they you don't have any professional wrestling fans here. I got it. I, I, it's I got okay. It. I I have not. I've never watched wrestling myself. I just know that that's his thing. Yeah. Uh, well, what I was about to say is, and this is the great thing with Zoom, we keep cutting each other off because of the delay. Um, is maybe if they had put a little bit more money into the special effects and not make The Rock look so video game quality like, maybe it would have made less money. So if that's where they were trying to cut corners a little bit. But we'll get to that. I wonder how much The Rock got paid for this movie. I can't imagine a lot because, like you said, it was, his, it was his first movie and like outside of wrestling, did people know who he was? Like, you know, this wasn't, you know, if if he were really big, I think this would have been called the Mummy, Mummy, the Scorpion King, or something like that. But you know, he's not mentioned in it. He's below the title, and that's the thing. He's like the MacGuffin, really, and that's really weird that he then becomes the main boss essentially at the end of this. 
I like how you described that The Rock is the MacGuffin of the movie. I mean, pretty much is. I mean, he's in the first four minutes of the movie, has zero, like, two lines, and then, you know, we're, like, an hour and 15 minutes removed, and, you know, he, they keep mentioning him, but we don't see him, and then, you know, he becomes the, bi- the video game boss at the end. So, yes, if The Rock was a much bigger actor at the time, he would have been in this a lot more. I like how, what was it? Wasn't it on the DVD? We saw like the special feature, the interview with The Rock. And it's it was great. like, it looked like it was just like filmed like with like a basic camcorder. Yeah, like it's very <laughs> clear they thought about okay. it. They're just like, so you're going to be uh, the Scorpion King and the Mummy. He's like, mm-hmm, I am. Yeah, and it was like clear they thought like of it after the fact. Like, they're like, oh shit, we should put something out here for the DVD. <laughs> when did the Scorpion King come out? I think it came out like 03, 04. It only came out like a short amount of time after this. It did. It came out in 03. And then when did the Scorpion King 2, 3, 4, and 5 come out? 2015, oh, no. 2016, 2007. They probably cranked those shit up. No, um, they probably came out like the early, late 10s, early teens, I'd say. Well, I'll someone needs to get release, on the stat. I'll put the release schedule up on screen. <laughs> Well, thank God. Thank Wait, God for you. Late 10s, early teens? Yeah, I, I know. I fucked that up. The late 10s? I think it probably, the second one probably came out like 2010. Like, I don't, I think they came out like there was a bigger gap. Look, if I'm going to sit through a movie that I don't have nearly as much to say about, I'll make dumb jokes like that, damn it. Oh, Scorpion King actually came out in 02. So it came out the very oh. next year. Um, Scorpion oh. King 2 came out in 08. Then the third one was in 2012 then 2015, then 2018. Oh, you know who the director of The Scorpion King was? Who? Rob Reiner. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, Rob Reiner. Yeah, it was when uh, he was on his career comeback at that point. He had to make up for doing North somehow. That's how they got that Kathy Bates cameo in there. In the Scorpion King, she's the Scorpion Queen. She she's um, the Rock's wife. But I'm like, I'm reminded of the Lost World here, like when they're in the tall grass and like the faceless henchmen just keep, the literal red shirts this time are getting pulled yeah. under. Again, you got the little guys there, and it's creative but silly. That's that's the key phrase for this film. I mean, it's it's clever because it's like we're not getting. Okay, every five minutes there's a mummy attack. I know you could technically classify them as mummies the way they're preserved and they're dead or whatever, but like it's still something new that we're gonna get that we have. I love though, um, in the it's it's very hard to notice. I've only noticed it once or twice, but in the upcoming scene when they cross the log bridge and then Rick blows it up to stop the pygmies from as they're called from um chasing them any further he blows up the log bridge you can notice um one of the pygmies like holding on to the um log and straddling it and doing like what slim whitman did at the end of dr strange while riding the bomb down (laughs) that's a nice little touch and then drowning these guys hooks in because again you now need to you know in the few minutes he in a few moments he's going to die as well you need to whittle down this large army as we saw like okay why aren't they 
helping out? Why aren't they more threats? Like, okay, we have to come up with a reason why all these henchmen are dead now. And I know they could have had a much smaller group of henchmen with them, but I think this is an effective way. It's an action scene that they're, you know, as you saw Rick and um, Ardeth Bay are just running through for the most part, like until they have to fight this guy, like they're just like literally running through, ignoring most of the action, trying to get to, from point A to point B as quickly as possible. And it's um, just nice. It's like, this is how we whittle the army down. We have a cool action scene that our heroes are also involved in, but like they're also trying to fight their way out of. Yeah. I like this guy being like, sacrifice yourselves for me. <laughs> Just again, shows you how sniveling all these bad guys really are. <laughs> it's very self serving. And that's the thing. It's like, I think the museum curator, going back to the whole Anox in the Moon's like human, like reincarnation form, she should have been like, just like, you know, not involved initially as just like another fate, nameless henchman of like modern day person like it, that's like the shame where we don't get nearly as much with um the museum curator as we probably should but well i'm sure it's it goes into much greater depth than the novelization of the film by peter david <laughs> i've always wanted i, I want to get into those like junior novelizations and read um more like um I just picked up like the, a couple copies of like the Blair Witch Project did like a comic book series that went deeper into it. Cause I'm just very interested. It's like, what, what, what's the expanded canon here? Like, what are you going to add in that the movie makers felt we don't need to have in? Well, see, what you, just, you just scrounge the children's section of Barnes and Noble to pick up the junior novelizations. Exactly. They're, they're still there. They just never sold and they just still kept them on the shelf. So some kids are like, Oh, a book about the mummy, the Tom Cruise. Oh no. I, I always love this bit. He's like, well, we're safe here. They're, these stones will protect us. And then it's a, sorry, my mistake. God, that Tom Cruise mummy feels like older than this one somehow, even though this is like the 90s franchise. <laughs> this movie is... It, it, it fell off the radar that fast. Hey, I think it's just a, just a testament to... Uh, I think it's just a testament to these two movies. Um, and again, like like that moment there, you know, just like him being like, sorry, my mistake. It's just a very Jonathan moment that is fucking, I, I always laugh at that moment. That is one of my favorite jokes in the movie. <laughs> Dynamite solves everything. Yeah, you can see um, one of them here. Very, It's that one that's on the top. It's kind of like riding it down. That's supposed to be an homage to Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> That, that's very clearly the visual effects animators having fun. Very now, this scene, this scene always that's like a fun little detail, though. I like that. The scene always reminded me of the happening, and I don't want to compare this movie to it, but just the idea that you're outrunning lights here. <laughs> it's like I get it; like there's it has to crest over the, because they're in a valley, but it's always very funny to me. It's like you're outrunning the sunlight, you know, and the happening. You're out trying to outrun the wind. See, it works here because you understand the emotional stakes and you're invested within the characters. Yeah. So you're not thinking about that. You're you're thinking about, you know, them getting to, to out of the out of the sunlight. Yeah. And the happening, it just sucks. Yeah. It's no, just... and it, it also works here because it's like you understand that 
and it, even though geog geographically speaking, it didn't make much sense. Like at the beginning, you don't see him in a valley. Now they're in a hidden valley. So it kind of makes sense where it's like, okay, the sod is cresting over it. But um, now I think it's a great comparison. That movie was so, so silly. Yeah. Um, now we should discuss here the fake out spoilers um, death of the Evie character. Funny story with this, when I was in college, I was showing this to uh, mine and Jacob's former roommate um, when we were in college, and he had never seen this movie. He knew about the third one. He knew that um, Rachel Wise was not in it, and he accurately knew that she had been recast. So when we see this, and Evelyn gets stabbed, and she dies, he, he actually looked at me, he's like, wait, what? And he's like, they're going to bring her back, and I'm just like trying to be straight-faced. Like, no, she's dead. And he's like, I'm like, didn't you know that's why she's not in the third one? He's like, I just thought they recast her. I'm like, no, she's dead. He's like, oh my God, this movie, I can't believe it had the balls to kill her off. <laughs> and it was very, it, it was very, very intense of The Mummy Returns. Yeah. And well, and it, you know, I know some people do complain about like, it's a howl moment that um, like they kill her and then two minutes later they bring her back to life and like, I wonder how many people, I mean, as a little kid, I truly did believe she was dead, even though the fucking Book of the Dead was literally just flashed before us um, as she waves. But it's like, I think it's, um, I don't think it's nearly as bad as a lot of people say, because I think it's a, it does heighten the emotional stakes. It shows how much more evil a Knox and the Moon, who, you know, we, we really didn't get much characterization of her in the first one. And even in this one, remember, until the resurrection, that's not her. That's just a woman who happens to look like her so we don't get much of how evil's a Knox in the moon here you know yeah you see in the first one she's okay with him stabbing the pharaoh but like this shows that she's pure evil and it raises the stake is for the majority of the climax rick is going in thinking my wife is dead i need to avenge her so i think it works out very well um from both of those angles of raising the stakes for him and then showing how evil she is mm -hmm. well is there I mean, you, you guys have to remind me. Is there like a real consequence to bringing her back to life? No, not at all. She's perfectly fine. You know, um, I can't. I remember like reading an IMDb forms. People were like, "Well, why is she brought back?" And you know, does she have to regenerate? And you know, it's like now the Book of the Dead. You know, just brings you back to life as you are. You know, she doesn't have to do anything special because you know it's not. She didn't become a mummy. She's not been dead for thousands of years. So it was like you know. I guess in theory, her wound just magically healed and she's perfectly fine. Now, it would be funny at the end, like, Evie, you're back. Like, yeah, I embrace the cold, you know, world of death. There's nothing after death. You know, it's just pitch darkness. It's horrifying. I never want to go back to that. That would have been funny. Maybe she's like got PTSD in the third one, but no, uh, there were no consequences, really. And see, that's, you know, that's a little cheap. I mean, yeah, like I said, I think it works for what they need to do, but yeah, maybe, maybe the, I think the book, the book of the dead is lost after this. So it's like, it is completely gone now. So, you know, we're like, well, why don't they use that again afterwards? It's like, okay, death is now permanent again. The book is permanent. Well, I guess compared to like the ending of like something like the last crusade where there's like a ticking time, there's a ticking clock over whether, you know, Indiana Jones' father is going to die, but he hasn't died yet, and they have to get to the thing before he dies. I just there's ways to do that without eliminating the consequence of death. I agree. You know what does? You know who doesn't? You know where they don't back out of 
a female protagonist's death. Van Helsing. You're right. They know. We'll get to that, but that's actually a very. She good gets character. killed, and that's that. She ain't yeah. coming back. Um, I just like the end, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's the end. Yeah, I guess spoil that movie. Yeah, I want to point <laughs> out though, um, so another Indiana Jones comparison to this movie as he goes through and the um, scorpions are moving away. It's very much like in um, Crystal Skull when um, yeah, like they have the skull it's moving the ants away. So Spielberg ripped this off for Catch Me If You Can, and he also ripped this off for um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So come on, Steven, be original, you fucking hack. Wait, which part is this in Crystal Skull? We were talking over, but the curator, like, they, he walks into the room and there's millions of scorpions, but now that he has the bracelet on, the scorpions are moving away from him. So it always reminded me. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Ants. With the ants. That adds up because I was watching Crystal Skull the other day. So oh, were you? Back. I was. <laughs> that must have been a new experience. It is every time. That's all right. I was watching The Phantom Menace earlier today, so. Oh, all right. I only watched the Coruscant scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jacob, do you want that to be the commentary we do after the Van Helsing? Would that make you happy? Would that fill you with life? Do the Phantom Menace? The only two things that fill me with life anymore are Spider-Man 3 and Bionicle, and we're through those, so I've pretty much retired as far as I'm concerned from the life. (laughs) Jacob's just to be a very uh, minor participant from all future ones. It's also 84 degrees where I am right now, but that's okay. Let's keep going. Brendan Fraser's fighting a guy. Don't worry, we only have 30 more minutes. <laughs> we haven't gotten to The Rock yet. Uh, we're about to. We're only like 15 minutes tops away from him, I think. I'm trying to think of how long the Scorpion <laughs> fights he takes. See, if they did the reboot, like the Force Awakens reboot, like I suggested before, then he could actually have the paunch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, most of burp. So I read this on IMDb, so take it with a grain of salt, but uh, to keep, Ar- with Arnold Vazlo, to keep like his back smooth and hairless, he just sh- shaved all the time instead of uh, waxing because it was too painful for him. I just thought that was an interesting piece of trivia that everyone should know. I just like to imagine Arnold Vosloo in pain just during the making of all these movies. <laughs> ah, that's why he's like, no, I'm not coming back for a third one. I can't handle it. Here. No. Well, that's the thing. And like, I was watching a video where they were talking about like some guy was like shirtless and it like from the movie and you know, same thing. He has no body hair. And the guy, like, and I was very much the same way. Some guy like was talking about. I was like, you know, because of movies where they always show guys not having body hair, like no back hair or chest hair. Like, I thought I was a fucking freak when I started going through puberty and chest hair. He's like, no, never had seen it before. Well, we know Arnold Vosloo was just the epitome of masculinity. Could you imagine though if they had to do that to Robin Williams, like he was the mummy, <laughs> like <laughs> to keep waxing? He'd be like the damn wolf man, like transitioning, like throughout the day. <laughs> they have to just wax him five times a day. You guys ever seen the uh, world's greatest dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ending there when he skinny dips in the pool. Oh, that mm-hmm. something I never needed to see, but great, great movie, great movie. I didn't need to see Robin Williams naked though. Well, that's I what we would have seen in the mummy. I actually watched that the day after he died because someone was talking about it. 
Yeah, I think I did too. Not the day after, but a little after he died, I, I watched that. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of it before. I'd um, just seen like um, the kid from Spy Kids who plays his son post a couple onset pictures and then a few friends, Facebook friends of mine were saying that's like one of their favorite movies of his. And I'm like, I'd never heard of it. It's, cr- it's great. Maybe we'll do a comp. No, we're not going to. It'd be too sad. Um, I do like we got the brief scene of showing the demons underneath setting that up when they almost fall in. And then um, it's nice actually seeing the two of these fight on even ground because obviously, you know, throughout the movies, he's got his magic powers. And as soon as in the first movie, he loses his powers, Rick just stabs him because he, they forget that he's mortal or he doesn't realize he's mortal now. So it's actually nice to see the two of these fighting on even ground now. So they just punch each other? Yeah. Well, Rick doesn't have his guns anymore. He doesn't have his power. So now they're in just hand-to-hand combat. Oh, yeah, so, I know. So it's nice to see that's like, yo, Arnold Vosloo's mummy isn't just completely dependent on um, his magic powers that, you know, he, you know, is a, you know, muscular guy who could probably, you know, beat the shit out of me. Even now, he'd probably still beat the shit out of me. But, you know, nice that he's not just completely, you know, nerfed now. Yeah, he's not like a complete, like, non-threat for the rest of the movie. Well, we have, for the record, we do have Arnold Vosloo's agents in our ear telling us to, just to mention that Arnold Vosloo is muscular every 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, only to jokingly reference the punch joke that he made that one time. Yeah. Of course. Just to show how far he's come. Yeah. In those two years. See, this is awesome. (laughs) A bunch of faceless guys fighting the same dog army guy repeated like copy and paste it a million times i love hey, well, where giant armies just charge at each other without strategy it's gonna be great it's gonna be great <laughs> it is great well we care though here at least because you have uh art at bay it's uh, not just like you know if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about caring versus not caring with big army fights you do care a little bit about the gungans okay <laughs> That's true. You, you don't want to see Jar Jar or uh, what's the other guy's name? Car Car. Captain Tarples get killed. Oh, okay. oh, you can see the influence on Matrix that come out in between the first um, the first movie and this movie where we're briefly getting bullet time every now and then here. Good observation. That yeah. wasn't in the last one. Interesting. Yeah. But again, imagine this as a stunt show at Universal. It would have been great. This would have been, yeah, absolutely. There's actually, um, I'll have to try and find the name of it and send the footage to you guys. Um, I've been digitizing my family's home movies and my mom like shot like some stunt show at Disney that's very much like the swashbuckling like 1930s fighting pirates and zombies. And I'm just now watching and thinking about that. Like it could have worked. Also, I like the little nod to the first one where Jonathan couldn't remember what that symbol was. And Alex is the same weird arm flapping motions, being like it's a bird. And now that's the one thing Jonathan remembers from the last time around. <laughs> it's a nice nod. And I think it's a funny joke. He's like, I remember that. Yeah, that's his character development. Him <laughs> remembering something for the last The sole character development. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Now um, Evie is going to be back. 
she's resurrected. She's seen what becomes from the other side of the wall of life and death and is permanently scarred from it. So she's become a nihilist. That again, they should have had her have PTSD in the third one. She's like chain smoke. She's like, nothing fucking matters. Like <laughs> they, the third one, like imagine if they do that. Like and Jonathan's killed. She's like, it doesn't matter. She, she turns into like Dr. Manhattan from the Zack Snyder uh, Watchmen's like life, death, it has no meaning. There's no difference between a living and dead person. They're chemically the same. That would have been her. She, she came back wrong. That should have been the third movie. Yeah. <laughs> now imagine... It's not really Evie. Would have been kind of interesting, maybe it wasn't Evie's soul, because remember... Yeah, after, it, was, uh, it was the resurrected yeah. Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah, well, Anak, it's like when uh, Imhotep first sees Anak Sinemun in early age, he says, well, in body, but not in soul. What if that happened to Evie? Because, Jacob, you're talking about consequences. Yeah. That could have been a consequence. She could have still been dead at the end of it, but they get to say goodbye to her, kind of. That would have been interesting, but... Maybe it's like Gamora in like Endgame or something. It's not quite her. It's That's, I think it needed to be something like that. I think there should yeah. be consequence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's this actual interesting YouTube channel. Uh, I'm blanking on their name. I'll link it in here. But they uh, they're special effects people, and like they're primarily known for like making movies R-rated, like uh, Willy Wonka and um, Avengers. But they did a um, interesting project where they tried to fix the CGI of the Scorpion King. And it's actually amazing what they were able to do with that movie, just ripping a Blu-ray and then adding elements over an already existing movie. So I highly recommend it. To which I saw that and I said, why would you want to change this? This is so wonderful. <laughs> it's not as bad as people say, but it's definitely not perfect. Let's put it that way. It looks like it's like, you know, those WrestleMania games you get on the PS2. It looks like they took Dwayne Johnson's model from that and just stuck it on the Scorpion monster. Yeah. Could you imagine if you played like the PS1, PS1 version of this game? Because I know there was a tie-in game that I always wanted to play. They had like a trailer for it on this. Um, in the, but like, in, you play it and it's like, oh, it looks even better in the video game. That's weird. In the movie, The Scorpion King. So is The Scorpion King like a villain? How does that work? Wait, in his spinoff? Yeah, is he like the a bad guy still? Or like, how does that work? I think he's no, a that, well, that's, yeah. yeah, he's the good guy. That's what makes it, yeah. That's what makes it a little confusing. In this, I mean, only if you've seen Scorpion King, I guess. But yeah, he's the protagonist in that movie. He's the straight up hero. See, yeah, I, that, I view ignore. I just pretty ignore. much like an irrevocably evil force of nature at the end of this. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, not like he's not even a character. The version of the Scorpion King we see at the beginning. I mean, this this might as well be like a brainless monster. He doesn't really. He doesn't talk. He does. He just grunts. You know, it's a mindless creature. But I guess. He's a likable protagonist in the next movie. Yeah. Well, and because and all those movies are prequels because, you know, it takes, I'm presuming, takes place before he died. So he becomes an asshole. That could have actually been interesting, like, doing a um, thing. Now, see, the one thing I will say here is this fight seems to hold no consequence for me because, as you saw, he wasn't actually injured by the sword hitting him. It just, like, turned to dust. So I always viewed it as the Scorpion King's army has been risen because he's alive, but they're not effective until someone's able to take control of it. 
so that entire scene to me has always been pointless because it's and you it's not you could argue maybe because the army had been defeated that last one didn't have strength but it's like you never see any of his men are dead prior to that and now it seemed like this is actually where there's going to be consequence for them so i've always thought that part was a little weak you said I'm going to insert clips of you saying I agree to make it sound like you agreed with me. I was, I, I was distracted by the, the incoming second wave of giant Egyptian zombie monsters. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's very weird that they gave him a reprieve at all. And it's like immediately un, like taken away. It's like, it should have, I think should have continued, but I don't know. Well, I like the idea of, es- of escalating it in a way where it shows that, Oh, you think it's over, but it's not. I, I don't think they should have had the celebration. I think they should have been like, you know, it could have been like, look, the numbers are turning to our side. And then you see more coming over versus they completely defeated them. And I guess you could argue a lot of his men are dying, but this being not a hard arm movie couldn't show hundreds of dead bodies in the ground. It doesn't look like there are less people with him, but I don't know. So. Well, plus it's just the matter of the nature of the movie too. It's like, is it that type of movie to yeah, show I mean, all those dead bodies? Well, that's the thing. It's like, I, I never get, to me, I've never gotten the idea of like, how much of a threat are they? Like, why did that guy's sword turn to sand when it hit him? Like, are they actually a threat right now? Is this like 90% of his army is wiped out and this is all that stuff? Because, you know, they show like he's got like a huge fucking army with him in the previous scene. And now it's like several hundred guys. So it's like, okay, did like most of them die? Um, that that's to me again you know maybe is seen this movie multiple times it's weak spot but um where it gets illuminated but so right here is when the rock uh, had food poisoning <laughs> you see like a farting and he'll be like oh, that's why they had no. to change it to the cgi version of the rock because the imagine? real one was sick in the medical tent right now oh god well, they tried to get him in that rig with the scorpion, but he just kept shitting in it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you smell what the rock is cooking? <laughs> oh, that's perfect. I'm sorry. We got to end the commentary on that. <laughs> that's it. Um, I do have to say, how unfair is this that, like, apparently you need this scepter to kill the scorpion king, but it was in fucking Hamanoptera, apparently, because that's where it's like they said he got it from, I think, because, like, at the, he it was in part of the treasures they got in the first movie. It's like, oh, so had you know John Bonnet been like uh you know someone who loves money and kept that with him, you know they can't they can't defeat the bad guy. Also, since that just passed through fire, I really wish when Rick grabs it, you just hear him like sizzling at him, being like, ah, my hands. <laughs> you know, we was you were talking about how like he seems like just like sort of a disconnected giant monster at this point that's mindless i think one i think a good way to connect him maybe if like he came out and he was just the rock and then in front of them turned into this scorpion monster to fight them mm. maybe that would have been a good way of connecting him with the character from the beginning of the movie and making it all one cohesive thing because as it is it does just feel like sort of like a big disconnected monster yeah now and that could have been could have been a thing where he was like are you here to serve with me or like, are you here to be with me or against me? And then he's like, you know, against you or whatever. And he's like, okay, have it your way. Or you can make it. Exactly. 
Or he could have done like a trick where maybe he's like very affable. You know, he's he's got that like rock personality where you think he's like the good guy, but uh, he's he's actually going to trick them. Yeah. Rick, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Are you against me? <laughs> All right, buddy. Let's take over Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Rick, you want to take three steps back right now? Yeah. Um. Now, getting into the part of this movie that completely redeems any and all um, problems I have with it. I, I'm quite serious. Like, rewatching this multiple times, like, any problems I have immediately go away in the next, like, two minutes of the movie. Um, with Specifically with Emotep's death and the parallel to, you know, Rick being saved. You know, the whole thing we said in the first movie is Emotep is doing this for love. You know, he went, you know, he went to hell, went through god-awful torture and all this shit to bring his lost love back. And he's going to destroy the world in the first one. If, even if it means bringing her back, he's fine with that. This one, they kind of nerf him a little bit now, as we said, you know, Emotep, or Knox in the Moon is back. So, okay, what's the next thing he wants? But, like, it did feel slightly out of character for me, always watching this. But this moment coming up here when, you know, he sees Evie willing to sacrifice herself despite Rick being like, get out of here, that she, her love for him is strong enough that even she's not going to listen to him and come and save him versus what we'll see in a moment of a knocks in the moon. He's begging her to come. So he's being selfish. She's like, risk your life to help me. And then she flat out refuses. You see like the sorrow in his face that, he realized he went through all these thousands of years of torture and all this effort for nothing. And that like kind of like depressed look on his face is just so powerful to me. I think it's a very good, you know, acting on Arnold Vosloo and like, it really ties up any problems I have with it. It's a very nice character moment and is a good conclusion to Emotep. I am glad they didn't bring him back from the third because this is a perfect ending for him. Like right here, like this, this is great acting. He just looks so destroyed. That's actually, that's a good point about how that's all structured at the end there. And now, and now, now or they just had a child that they didn't want to orphan. Unlike Brendan Fraser and Rachel Wise, they didn't care as much. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's cool because he just let go of them. He's like, it was all for nothing. I'm done. Yeah. yeah and, I'm, and as much as I wanted like a more Egyptian type feel to the third one, I'm glad they didn't bring Emotep back because it's like, that's the perfect ending. And the first one, he's like, I'll be back. You know, death is you know, just the beginning. I'll be back versus this one. He's like, I'm not coming back. I don't care. I don't want to be brought back. This is done. So that's what I was referring to. This movie is now perfect. Went from a 7 out of 10 to, 11 to a out 20 of 10. out of 10. I was going to say 20. I also like the little elements. You can see occasionally you see one of the pygmies flying past camera being sucked in. This also reminded me of the end of Jumanji, which is very ironic now with the rock in the new Jumanji movies. Actually, this gives me some Kingdom of the Crystal Skull vibes too. Oh, you're right. God, Steven Spielberg really ripped this movie off. Or is George Lucas. Well, to be fair, they ripped off a lot of elements from Indiana Jones, so I guess it's payback. You ripped us off, mm-hmm. we'll rip you off. Do my best, my best George Lucas. We're trying to do it like The Mummy Returns, but we really want to push it in a new direction. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> it's one of those things that these things just eventually feed off each other over the years. 
especially with the fourth one because it's it's so far along since the last one. A lot of movies have been influenced by the other three, so it's it's harder to you know for it to be as I, unique. I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. I I think the uh, the fourth Indiana Jones is underappreciated. Yes, but I feel like this comes up once per commentary, so you know. <laughs> That's that's not enough in my book. But I, you know, I kind of attribute it. I actually, I think in retrospect, we'll look back at some of the odder ideas in that movie, like the alien stuff, and kind of see it more as like sort of creative vision. But that's a, I guess that's a conversation for another time. I agree with that. I, I said that the other day when I watched it. Kind of like how we look at the prequels and we're sort of like, yeah. we appreciate the storytelling in them a lot more now versus, you know, in the heat of the moment when they came out. I'm telling you, man, once that fifth indie movie comes out, if it ever gets made, that's what's going to happen. If, if they do what they've been doing with the Star Wars movies. But that's another conversation. Yeah. Um, again, we also Honestly, just thought- the scene that looks like something from Crystal Skull wraps up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Again, a perfect Jonathan moment. He's like, Pick, pull me up, pull me up. And then, then sees the devil. He's like, no, let me down, let me down. Is it worth, and like Rick says, is that diamond worth dying for? He's like, yes. And he's just hugging it in the background. Like, it's perfect. Like, they're all happy to be alive, having their family back. And he's just happy that he has a fucking huge ass diamond that's worth like a billion dollars. Yeah, he gets what he wants. <laughs> Again, just money. Nothing ever comes out of this for him. And they said, like, I think on the commentary or something, they were talking about how, like, he bickers with Alex. Like, he's almost on the same maturity level as Alex. Like, when his, like when the parents kiss, they both say, ugh. Like, they're both groaning at it. Like, they're both children. <laughs> it's perfect. And like you said, like, Jonathan learns nothing from the first movie or even the second movie because it's the same as the third one. So since she said, do you want to know what heaven looks like? I guess the Christian religion is right. Which is very <laughs> ironic since they use an Egyptian book. Now look at this. Two hours on the dot. That's yes. the end. Yep. It's perfect. And then like well, 10 minutes of credits. Yeah, so, about. We're not going to do that. So, well... Hope you guys enjoyed our return to form with the mummy returns. We all had um, various different things to say. We laughed, we cried. Our Zoom meetings ended three different times in this. So, yay. Yeah, thanks for watching for part two of Steven Summers. Yeah. Summers. Next, next time we're doing Jake's favorite movie of all time, Van Helsing. I was here too. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for dropping on by, Jacob. <laughs> thanks for giving me two hours to nap. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, I, I, I find I actually, you know, the first movie's better, but this one's just a lot of fun in a schlocky way. So yeah. there you go. Well, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it was worth your heat stroke. Yes, it's 85 degrees and there's no AC where I am right now, so... Right, well, I look forward to ten more minutes of credits. <laughs> no, we won't do that to you. Okay, we're gonna have, we're gonna sign off, guys. Until then, have a good night. Yep, have a good night. <laughs>